Wow, Elon really shot down our Rosh Hashanah <laughs> idea in the park. From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. For the past three years, the Jewish Food Society has produced Schmaltzy, a live storytelling event where celebrity chefs, grandmas, tech entrepreneurs, and culinary mavens told personal stories about Jewish food. There were tears, there were laughs, there was a lot of nostalgia. And now we're sharing Schmaltzy with you. Pull up a front row seat to hear the original live stories from the stage. Then we'll go behind the tales with the storytellers for more. We're launching this podcast on the eve of Rosh Hashanah 2020, which is unlike any other. We won't come together with our parents and grandparents to gather around a table, to hug, to tell stories. But we hope this storytelling podcast in one way or another will help us feel close, even though we're apart. Today on Schmaltzy, a very Texan Rosh Hashanah, from award-winning New York-based chef Zoe Kanan. Here's Zoe from the Schmaltzy stage where she shared her story in front of 350 guests on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. My grandmother, Helen, is the most unlikely Texan. She was born on the Upper East Side, raised by Russian and Polish parents. She met her husband at a Jewish singles mixer in the Catskills. She worked on the top floors of the Chrysler building and was a diehard Mets fan. (laughs) A New York Jew through and through. So when her only child, my mom, moved to Texas, fell in love with a punk band drummer, and had a baby, it really shook things up in our family when my grandmother decided to move across the country to Houston to be close to us. In setting up shop in Houston, my grandmother had to work really hard to maintain her Jewish identity. There was lots of volunteer work for uh, the local theater and the Holocaust Museum, in which she always looked fabulous in bright red lipstick, giant clip-on earrings, an oversized Mets t-shirt and ball cap. There were weekly trips to our Jewish deli Kenny and Ziggy's. And of course, there was holiday baking, of which honey cake was her most celebrated recipe, which she inherited from her mother, Sadie, from Poland, and liked to zhuzh up with a heavy-handed dose of coffee. And my grandmother was so proud of this recipe that every year, we would bake a giant batch of cakes, pack them up, and ship them back to our family in New York. I remember asking her, Grandma, won't the cakes taste old by the time they get all the way to New York? And she would say, oh, it takes a few days for them to reach peak flavor anyway. (laughs) This particular year, Rosh Hashanah 2000, my grandmother and I bake our annual batch of cakes, pack them up, and load up her car to head out to the post office. On our way there, the pickup truck in front of us stopped short and we collide. Fortunately, we're both okay, but my grandmother is freaking out because her wrist is sprained, 
which means she won't be able to cook Rosh Hashanah dinner. My mom arrives on the scene and quickly calms her down. Don't worry about it. We got it. We'll handle the mill this year. It'll be fine. But I'm only 10, and I have some doubts. Like, my mom is a vegetarian who only makes salad. And my dad, the cook in our family, has a bit of a tense relationship with my grandmother. Number one, he's not a Jew. He's an Irish Catholic Texan. Number two, he's an artist who has worked as a film set designer and painter, which my grandmother never thought were real jobs. But between us, the real reason is the portrait. So early in my parents' courtship, my dad attempted to get on my grandmother's good side by surprising her with this elaborate portrait of her late beloved, my grandfather, Lester Luntz. And it didn't go over very well. <laughs> he was poolside in a Speedo. And his nose was too big. Which clearly meant he was an anti-Semite, and that's proven pretty hard to walk back from. Here on the Schmaltzy Podcast, we have the chance to dive deeper into the voice behind the story. Before we go back to Zoe's story, she joins us in the studio. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Amanda. Zoe, I've eaten so many of your amazing creations, but for anyone out there who hasn't been lucky enough to try them, for a little context, Vogue called Zoe one of three women changing the way we think about bread. It's quite a tagline to walk around with at the tender age of 30. (laughs) I try not to think about it. So I want to talk about that portrait that was made by your dad of your grandfather, Lester. Yeah. It didn't quite go over so well. No, it didn't. So I don't mention this in the story, but I'd say it was probably five feet by three feet. Big. It was a big painting. So seeing this giant garish portrait, I think there was something in that 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 was really what bothered her. It seems like the portrait reinvigorated this idea that for some reason that your father was anti-Semitic, even though he married your mom. Why, why did you think Helen felt that way? You know, she was still processing the kind of displacement maybe that she felt, um, even though she moved to Texas of her own volition. So she might have been kind of on guard. I do know that my mom is the first person in my family to marry a non-Jew. And some of my family members on my dad's side had maybe never met a Jewish person knowingly before meeting my mom and my grandmother. So maybe she led her interactions with that knowledge. (laughs) Got it. So clearly there was an adjustment, period. Absolutely. (laughs) Your schmaltzy story is about a Rosh Hashanah dinner that happened when you were a child. But I want to go back way further than that. 
What did Helen's Jewish life revolve around in New York when she was a child and a teenager? What made up her New York life? Yeah, so she was born on the Upper East Side, um, but she actually spent most of her childhood in Far Rockaway in the 30s and 40s. She was raised by Russian and Polish immigrants. They spoke Yiddish, and their life experience was rooted in their Judaism, but they weren't religious people. I think a lot of their the way that they expressed their uh, Jewish culture would have been through these holiday meals together. What were some of the other ways that she kept her New York identity after this big move to Texas? My grandmother imagined her life unfolding in a really particular way. I think my grandfather dying suddenly of a heart attack kind of scrambled their life's path. So she just wanted to get away from pain associated with their life in Long Island. I think she was actually pleasantly surprised when she moved there to find that like there was a big local grocery store chain called Belden's that was a Jewish grocery store and had a lot of the same products. There was even a Jewish bakery and Jewish delis around. And she immediately joined a synagogue, which my mom said they were never never like attending synagogue in Long Island. So that was new for her. In some ways, you're kind of living a reverse life that Helen <laughs> Yes. Because you're starting out in Texas. Yeah. And then you came to New York. Are you thinking about Helen when you're here? That's a, yeah, that's a hard question. I, I am living that reverse life. And up until her passing, um, she liked to remind me of that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she was just like, I moved to Houston to be with you, and you, <laughs> I don't know what it sounds like. Remember. Jewish guilt at its finest. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100, uh, 100%. I would get served that line like multiple times um, each visit. <laughs> all I'll say is I've been, I've been, all I can say is I can relate, and I've been there. Yeah. Um, I think on that note, let's return to your story from the Schmaltzy stage and hear the rest of what happens at this dinner. Let's do it. Here we are. It's Rosh Hashanah, and this year the meal is on us. Fortunately, my dad is a very talented cook and has really great ideas. So the night of, my grandmother arrives for the meal, just as my mom is setting the table. By the way, I don't think my mom has any idea what we've made. We all take our seats, and my dad quickly assigns me the role of kitchen server for the evening, loves the ceremony of a coursed-out meal, so I head to the kitchen and carefully plate up our first course, matzo ball soup. I present the bowls, and my dad immediately digs in, but my mom and I watch my grandmother as her spoon lowers into the bowl through the broth and slices open a matzo ball. She looks up, and she is mad. How are they so fluffy? (laughs) My dad can't wait to reveal his hack. It's Topo Chico. (laughs) Topo what? My grandma says. And my mom translates. They use Topo Chico, the extra fizzy Mexican mineral water. My grandma can't deny they might be the best she's ever had. 
I head back to the kitchen for our next course, gefilte fish, which my grandmother can't quite believe we would make from scratch. One bite in, I can tell we're off-roading. She picks up her wine, drinks the entire glass, turns to my dad and says, Jim, why do these taste like a tamale? My dad says, we used masa. And my grandma says, it's matza. My, my mom translates, no, they used masa, corn flour, and jalapenos, my dad adds. Couldn't help himself. I head out to the grill to grab our main course, which isn't brisket, but it is my dad's famous dinosaur ribs, just like what the prehistoric Jews would have had. <laughs> I bring them in, present them to the table, along with a bowl of Texas caviar, which is a corn and bean salad. My grandmother looks at the ribs. It's not brisket. It looks nothing like Kenny and Ziggy's. But Helen Luntz has never turned down a grilled piece of meat in her life, and she licks those ribs clean because they are damn good. For our final course, my dad and I have put together this elaborate platter of pomegranates and honeycomb and apples and pecans. But my mom stops me and says, hold up, this is not Rosh Hashanah without your grandmother's honey cake. Did you bring one? My grandmother takes a cake, unwraps it, and places it on the table, just like we did every year. I take a first bite. And I think back to my grandmother telling me that the cake's flavor improves after a few days. It really does. And I appreciate her tidbit of baking wisdom. And when I think back to that Rosh Hashanah when I was 10, I realize that the holiday marked the beginning of a few things for my family. A new and slightly easier relationship between my grandmother and my dad I think she really saw his creative and celebratory spirit in the meal of the night. Sorry. <laughs> it also marked the beginning of my starting to think like a chef and seeing how even the most traditional recipes can transform into something new and delicious. When you bring your whole self to something, the Texan and the Jew. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your schmaltzy story, Zoe. Helen surprised you a little bit that day. Helen did surprise me. Helen surprised me with her reaction. And I think you just can't help but appreciate good cooking, you know? I think that's something that we hopefully are all in agreement about. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Zoe, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice to talk about this with you. Shana tova. Shana tova. For Zoe's delicious honey cake recipe, visit jewishfoodsociety.org slash podcast. We wish you all a safe and happy new year filled with sweetness and optimism. Schmalti is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in New York City. We want to hear from our listeners all around the world. Send us your thoughts, comments, questions, and even your kvetching. 
Just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to hi at jewishfoodsociety.org so we can share it right here. Also, we're new around here. Be a mensch and rate us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get this show. Schmalti is created by Nama Shafi, produced and edited by Ilan Benatar. Our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Until next time, I'm your host, Amanda Dell.